Welcome to HRI's Next in Health podcast. I'm your host, Ben Isker. And joining me today is my co-host, Trina Tideros, who leads our Health Research Institute. Welcome, Trina. Great to be here, Ben. Well, Trina, today we have two special guests, PwC experts in the pharmaceutical and life sciences supply chain, Robbie Higgins and Namit Mehta. Robbie and Namit are partners at PwC. Robbie focuses on cybersecurity and pharma and life sciences, and Namit focuses on operations in the pharma and life sciences supply chain. We'll be talking to both Robbie and Namit about how pharmaceutical and life sciences companies can prepare for supply chain disruptions, which we know are both inevitable and unpredictable. Welcome, Robbie and Namit. Well, thank you, Ben and Trina. Uh, happy to be here today. Yeah, thanks for inviting us. Happy to be here. One of the big surprises to a lot of folks during the pandemic, especially in the earlier months where all the shortages caused by disruption to the supply chain, hospitals didn't have gloves, they didn't have gowns, they ran out of medications that they were using to intubate patients, they ran out of ventilators. We saw disruptions to the pharmaceutical supply chain as trade out of China and India slowed. And those, as we all know, are producers of active ingredients and in, in other parts of the supply chain, the medical supply chain. But Robbie and Namit, I bet these supply chain disruptions were not entirely surprising to you. I bet you guys were not surprised. Yeah, this is Namit here. And, you know, Trina, this is an interesting topic. What happened because of the pandemic is obviously of a different scale. But generally, these disruptions happen and are inevitable in all sorts of, you know, lives uh, we have. You think of the Suez Canal blockage. You think of the pipeline we just happened. You talk about the nuclear plant shutdowns in Japan or the volcano ash in Europe, right? Hurricane in Texas. We can go on and on. But these happen almost inevitably. And we companies have to be prepared and ready to manage around them. Following on from Namit, I mean, obviously what we've seen with the pandemic was unprecedented, but there's no question organizations have faced many challenges, especially over the last five to 10 years in terms of their ability to recover from a major incident. I think one of the real interesting things, and you brought up, even if we step away for a second from the pharma and life sciences industry, it's amazing how many interdependencies there's been in other industries. I think one of the examples was coming out of the pandemic early on, one of the big factors was the move to workforce from at home, basically mobilizing the workforce. What that drove up was a big demand for PCs and a lot of remote computing, which in turn drove a greater demand and need for semiconductors. The interesting thing is if you fast forward now, you know, almost 18 months later, now what you're beginning to see in the US is that as the economy begins to recover, demand for other products, as an example, like automotives is up. But one of the challenges is because automotives are so highly dependent on semiconductors, there's actually a supply problem in the U.S. currently around automotives, not because of your traditional automotive components, but because of a shortage in semiconductors. So I definitely think that there's been many different impacts across the board in relation to supply chain. Well, I, I guess one thing I'd like to ask is we know that you know pandemics don't happen very often. We hope we won't see one again for another hundred years. But the reality is, as Namit was saying, disruptions are actually not necessarily super rare, disruptions in general. So I think the question would be for a lot of health leaders out there and, and generally for business leaders, what do you do about it? How do you prepare? And Robbie, if you don't mind, let's start with you on that response and then we can go over to Namit. Sure, Ben. I would say, you know, one of the big things that on organizations historically in many cases have been focused in on their ability to recover from an incident. 
So again, to a number of the instances which Namit mentioned, and historically that's been about how do you as an organization become resilient? Your ability and your capacity basically to withstand some, shall we say, either short to long-term impact. And I would say an organization, one of the key things that they really need to look at now is as the landscape is changing, we've kind of talked a little bit about the interdependencies, shall we say, and interconnectivities of businesses from a global perspective and those dependencies. Certain things potentially go wrong and looking at scenarios, we would suggest one of the key things is companies and organizations look at possible scenarios. Now, can someone have predicted necessarily a pandemic? No, we know they don't happen that often, but many other instances of, shall we say, situations that NAMIT has outlined do occur. So I think number one, looking at scenarios. Number two is planning. So what would you do in the event something like this was to occur? And do you actually know how it would impact your business? And if you have an understanding, at least on what some of these possible, shall we say, scenarios are, and you've got a plan, then one of the things we would talk about is some ability to test that plan. And the reality is that's what we would talk about in terms of enterprise resiliency. And I think that's definitely something the pandemic has brought to the forefront for many organizations. Very well said, Robbie. You know, the key is to understand the entire value chain, end-to-end supply chain, whatever you want to call it. At every node, there's an issue, right? Whether there's a supplier, whether there is the ship which is bringing the products in, whether the raw material is coming in, whether there's distribution issues, whether there's employees who are not available to service the product. If you look at the entire node, understanding where those challenges are and identifying the various risks and then taking a very clear understanding of what's the short-term implication, long-term implication and doing a full triage around them, right? That part of the supply resiliency and then developing a business continuity plan and resiliency plan around that. It could be as simple as, you know, having dual sourcing for raw materials. It could be as simple as having a backup supplier, as simple as, you know, having identified that you will have an air freight on your products. Or even to some extent, like pharmaceutical industry, companies have redundancy in their manufacturing capacities, where if one plant is going to go, you know, close down, you have a back second backup plant available. It's understanding those risks and going from there. So Nam, it sounds like what I'm not hearing is I'm not hearing you say the answer is to have a massive warehouse full of inventory waiting to be deployed. That's not the answer. It's a much more sophisticated answer than that. Is that right? Well, I think that's not the answer, but that could be also an answer, right? There are examples being in the cola companies, if you remember, right? What happens if the whole, you know, plantation for a year is gone for cocoa or coffee, right? So they have strategic inventory, which makes sure that they have inventory to support their business on a long-term basis because they heavily depend on that. But that's not required on every aspect of your life. It's about knowing the risks, the implications, the cost of mitigating these risks. And it could be, okay, I know if I have to expedite, it's going to be X, you know, thousand dollars or million dollars whatever it is for air freight, or there's a cost of having a second source of supplier and having all the planning regulatory requirements lined up for that. That's what it's required to do versus building big warehouses of excess inventory because the inventory could also be perishable to some extent. What do you think, Robbie? What what would you add? I I agree. I think it's, again, it's about being pragmatic here because I think one of the challenges is for some organizations, they've adopted maybe a just-in-time program, which of course has been a very popular program for lots of different reasons, mostly in and around efficiency, but it is predicated on the fact that you can get critical materials just in time. And I think what we've seen through a number of the different situations that have occurred, not just with the pandemic itself, that that isn't always the case. So I think first and foremost is, again, it's number one, do you understand 
how susceptible your organization is in terms of dependent on maybe either single source or how many sources of areas, shall we say, it's got key product and supply. Do you have alternatives and how quickly can they be enabled? Whether that's around people, process, or technology, or shall we say, just again, sourcing of materials, shall we say, in the situation around pharmaceutical industry, it may be around compounds, shall we say. So I think having an understanding and a planning, and then again, really looking at testing some of those scenarios, because really what you don't want to be is you don't want to be in a scenario that the first time you test the plan is when you're actually in the scenario itself for real. Yeah, I'd actually just like to drill down on that just a little bit. And I was thinking about when we started this conversation, we talked a lot about the scenarios and the planning around the scenarios. And we've actually already gotten into some great examples of things that can be done, right? Like dual sourcing and air freight and things like that. So with all of that in mind, for our farm and life sciences leaders who are listening to this, and they've got to think about what they're going to prioritize over this next year. Tell us a few things. What should they prioritize? If you had to pick a couple of you know, interventions to secure your supply chain, what would those be? And maybe conversely, are there any things out there that maybe they're not thinking about that they should be? And Robbie, let's start with you again, and then we'll go to Namit. One of the areas, and maybe it's my bias coming from the cyber side would say, I think one of the key interesting lessons has been like, look, at cyber attacks have been around now for quite a period of time. And most people are quite familiar and quite familiar with the impact. I think one of the interesting things over the last few years has been that as people have looked at these cyber attacks, number one, they've seen the impact and the potential chaos they can basically occur. I think one of the interesting trends, even in the world of cyber and at a leadership and a board level has been, yes, companies want to be able to stop where they can cyber attacks. But I do believe one of the things they're equally now beginning to look at is the ability for many organizations to stop cyber attacks themselves, specifically when they're targeted, is somewhat limited. So I think one of the things they're really looking at is how's their ability actually to recover? So it's as much about the planning to, yes, you don't want this to happen. Yes, you want to put the best controls, whether they're technology or capabilities in place. But you also too need to spend time on if the worst case scenario does occur, how quickly can you recover? How would you go about recovering? And so I think scenario planning around that and testing some of those particular models out, I think are an area I would be advocating for just based on my experience. Well, Namit, let's bring you in on this as well. What, mm -hmm. what kind of priorities would you lay out for farming and life science leaders in this area? Well, I'll just build up on what Robbie just said, right? Building these scenarios, these multicolor simulations or whatever it is, right? Across the different situations they're dealing with, they will identify some things which are unknown. And they will identify which are something which are, you know, common things across all scenarios which you can take action on right now. So identifying what's the known, which they can act upon and identifying what the unknowns and what the trigger point of those unknowns are and being ready to prepare and address them. I think that's what we go and, you know, help companies doing this, helping them do this scenario planning, understanding the knowns and identifying the trigger points for the unknown. And this is not something, you know, will just happen overnight. This takes months and years sometimes to create that resilience in the supply chain and be prepared for that, right? You can see what happened in the pandemic, right? We were just not ready. If we would have planned from the last lessons of Ebola or whatever, right? We would have maybe taken some actions and we would have been prepared. 
but that's what it requires. It just not happens overnight. So one question I think a lot of our listeners might be wondering about is, okay, contingency plans are expensive and there's no way to plan for every possibility. We just went through a pandemic that Mm -hmm. nobody, November, October 2019 would have foreseen was going to happen right then. I think a lot of public health and epidemiologists would warn that there was a pandemic on its way at some point, but that specific, what we all have been going through is not on anyone's radar screen at that time. So what advice do you give companies in terms of starting out? How do you decide what scenarios to look at and plan for? Well, first of all, I think that we should give credit to the pharma companies addressing the pandemic and the limited resources and time they had. But if they have to start over again, right? And it's, as you said, it's not just going to be happening and it's expensive. They need to take a structured approach, right? They need to start defining what those risks are. The first step is the most hard one, right? Accepting there could be a problem and working together as a collaborative, you know, top management team to look at all these and try doing the triage. And then what they can do is like, you know, take baby steps and identify the most highest impacted risk areas and working around the solutions. Understanding the must-haves, which can be, you know, across all the different scenarios and working on them are the first priority. And then next priority becomes building those plans on those trigger points and be having ready to action plan. So developing an action plan around them. Well, I was going to ask our fun final question. You've made it to that part of the podcast. (laughs) So at this point, we ask all of our guests this season a question about fast forwarding to the future. And so, Namit, I'll start with you. What process, technology, or innovation that we know about today will have the greatest impact Mm -hmm. on the health system of tomorrow? Well, if you look at the health system, right, the new business models where the power isn't coming in the hands of the consumer is obviously significantly game-changing. But it comes with its own challenges related to privacy, security. We have to be very careful and the companies have to be really watchful for that. But I think I'm very excited about the new change which is coming along. Okay. Well, Robbie, I'm going to pose the same question to you. So again, fast-forwarding to the future, what process, technology, or innovation that we know about today will have the greatest impact on the health system of tomorrow? How about uh, maybe I I, I give you a tree as opposed to one? (laughs) Sorry about that. But I would say, look, at ultimately technology we can already see is significantly changing, right? And I think Namit mentioned specifically at a consumer, at a patient level. But I think there's three big areas. I think digital and the digitization broadly across the pharma industry, all the way through health services, shall we say, payer and provider, and ultimately through to patients. I would say cloud and cloud technology as it's enabled just the movement and speed and time of organizations to basically be able to go to market with capabilities. And lastly, will be mobile and accessibility. And if we take a look at even the one, well, there's been many bad things that have come out of the pandemic. Take a look at the acceleration of telehealth as an example, right? What we see in many cases in situations like a pandemic or really bad situations is that in many cases, we see great acceleration of certain capabilities. I think telehealth will be one example that we're seeing. And I would say, as we look at pharmaceutical companies, just take a look at how the landscape around clinical trials and the whole idea now around more virtual clinical trials, do we really need to bring all the patients into a clinic? Is it possibly something they can do from at home? So I think the combination of number one, technology being the big driver, but those three areas within technology, I think will have some of the greatest impact over the next few years in the industry. 
I think, you know, one of the interesting things about post-pandemic periods is that people kind of try to tell the future and, and say, you know, what, what kind of changes might come out of this pandemic? And this has happened over and over throughout history. And I think these answers that you two just gave are kind of the glimmerings of what we might see be some permanent or at least long-term changes that come out of this whole cataclysm. So Robbie and Namit, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your thoughts on how to make the pharmaceutical and life sciences supply chain more resilient. That was really super interesting and really useful, I think. Thanks very much. Happy to be here again. Yeah. Following on from Namit again, it was a pleasure. Thank you very much. And uh, hopefully everyone found this valuable and enjoyable. Thank you. Great. Well, for more on these topics and other health industry insights driven by policy, innovation, and care delivery changes, please visit our website at pwc.com forward slash HRI. Until next time, this has been Next in Health. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates and may sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.